Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans. Welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're talking about Belgian beer, the madness of HEB, and our favorite air fryer recipes. Plus, we get ready for the State Fair of Texas with longtime concessionaire Cassie Jones and her must-try deep-fried collard greens. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Right now, we are joined by retail reporter Maria Halkius. But first of all, Maria, I just wanted to say congratulations. I know you've been covering this forever. (laughs) So how does it feel now that the first HEB in North Texas is finally open? I have been bugging them a long time. But, you know, I was just following what other people were telling me. They had a lot of fans in the state, and they all showed up on Wednesday morning. and have been showing up through the weekend. How did the opening go overall? So this is not confirmed, but a million dollars is the sale figure that was a chatter from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. And I checked with a group that keep track of those kinds of statistics. And the average for a supermarket for a week, not a day, for a week, is around $680,000. So they... Oh my gosh. Wow. They exceeded that in a day. Maria, when you and I were chatting about HEB because I had the pleasure of going to the barbecue place inside HEB right before it opened. And I just love some of the anecdotes you shared with me. Um, The DJ on opening day showed up at 4 a.m. Is that right? Oh, yes. They had a DJ and he played some tunes that made people dance. I love but that. the employees were cheering people on. And the Wakeland drum line was there. That's one of the high schools in Frisco. You know, people were just upbeat. And then the first two people who were in line, remind us when they showed up and who they were? 6 p.m. the night before. <laughs> two best friends from Prosper and Salina. They, I love it. You know, just kind of had that Black Friday feeling. Right. And so, Maria, <laughs> as far as the fans go and well, who was there? I think it was a lot of the loyal people who know them from living in other parts of the state. ATB told me they've done a lot of research before they start building stores. And it's like broken up in a third, a third, a third. So a third are very loyal and they know them. Another third have like some familiarity, maybe because they had a student at a college in one of the ATB cities. And the others have no clue. They're going to be a challenge. I find that when I chat with people about HEB, the folks who don't get it really don't get it. And the folks Mm -hmm. who do already have their list made for the things they want to buy in their local HEB whenever they get an HEB in their town. So like, what's the deal with HEB? Is there an easy way to encapsulate that? It really is weird. It's a phenomenon. (laughs) I agree. It's hard to explain, but I don't think it's one thing. I tried to boil it down to five things because people ask me all the time. So one thing is here they are a Texas and Mexico grocery store operator, but they have a national reputation. They also have been around forever. So, I mean, you know, you've been around for 117 years. That's the actual number of people. Wow. 
a lot of people know you and have a long tradition with you. And I know uh, H-E-B but, gives a lot back to communities. Yes. And that's just a family-owned company that is also owned by employees. And it's not just a few. We're talking probably almost half of the 145,000 people they employ are shareholders. One of my first experiences with H-E-B is that my little cousin lives in the Houston suburbs. He has Down syndrome and he works at H-E-B. And he is the mayor of that H-E-B, for real. Uh, He's the best kid ever. And he took me through his store years ago. And I didn't know about H-E-B because I'm not from that part of Texas. And he pointed out some of his favorite things. He also showed me where he bags his groceries. I met his manager and uh, he loves his job every single day. And he works with people who love him. I know that other grocery stores hire, you know, adults with special needs, but that one has a special place in my family's heart. And you said he has his favorite food and it is about food after all. They do the fun things too. Like I thought it was just tortilla chips that were shaped like Texas, but they're chicken nuggets too. You might need to get some of those. For our kids. Yes, Yes, totally. (laughs) That's so cute. What are some of the other cult favorite items? There's a new coffee for DFW and it tastes a little bit like chocolate Hmm. and all their barbecue sauces and rubs. They have their own brand of pet food that apparently is very popular. Like that was one of the things people were driving to Waxahachie and Burleson to buy. One of my favorite funny names. So we all know what Ritz crackers are, Uh but they have one called It's a Cracker. So so the Z, there's still a Z on the bed there, but it's... It's Ritz without the R. I saw people talking about tortillas, butter tortillas. uh, Oh, yeah. And then the the home department is pretty large. And, you know, if you need a gift or something while you're grocery shopping, there's also a toy aisle. And the beauty aisle includes brands that are just sold in salons and makeup only sold at Sephora. It's pretty extensive. For anybody who doesn't know the connection between HEB and Central Market, Maria, can you explain that? Sure. So Central Market is owned by ATB, and it's a division they started in the 90s in Austin and came to Dallas 20 years ago. And we have six of the 10 Central Markets in the state of Texas. And Central Market, there's one more they're trying to open or start building soon in uh, Uptown. That one is still alive. It's not dead. We've seen Uh, that vacant building forever. The additional ATBs that are coming are Plano before Thanksgiving, but they haven't set a date yet. Next year in the summer, McKinney and Allen, those are under construction. And then they said at the beginning of next year, they will break ground in Mansfield. So these five are the only ones that are actually moving forward. There are other pieces of land that they bought, but they haven't started building on it yet. But I think they'll probably start announcing more next year. Thank you so much, Maria, for being on the show again and talking to us about HEB. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So Sarah, I know you and I have been talking about how much we love our air fryers. Yes. And we have a listener who has asked us what tips we have. Hi, this is Matt from Allen, Texas. We just recently bought one of those really cool air fryers. and I'm really addicted now to these breaded chicken patties and also roasting vegetables. And I was wondering if there's any outside-of-the-box items or meals that we could cook in our air fryer that we haven't thought about. Thanks, ladies. Okay, so Sarah, what do you love to cook in your air fryer? I think we have an air fryer because we have children. 
I should say first. So it's kid food more than other kinds of food. But there's like this little contest I have with myself. Like, what could you put in the air fryer that you think you want to toast or bake? Mm -hmm. Because you get a little crisp from the air fryer that you wouldn't have gotten if you were to bake something. And the beauty of my air fryer, and maybe many people's listening, is that it's a toaster oven that has an air fryer function. The one I have is like a Cuisinart convection oven slash air fryer. Yeah, I think we might have the same one. Okay. Uh, I also have a Cuisinart. It looks like a little oven, like the door opens from the top down. Yep. So I do a ton of chicken nugget air frying. Yep. And anybody with kids out there who has an air fryer, yeah, that's like, and and if you get the really good chicken nuggets, the one that look more like a Cane's nugget or a Chick-fil-A nugget, but you get Mm. them from the grocery store in the frozen section, they really air fry up beautifully. Yeah. Over the weekend, I did a new air frying thing, which is I was at Trader Joe's and for no good reason, the cashier offered a recipe of what they were eating in the back room. She had no idea that I talk about food constantly and for a living. And so this was like the tea that I needed right in that second. Right. What they were eating in the back room at Trader Joe's was a Hawaiian roll slathered with unexpected cheddar dip, which is kind of like a beer cheese Mm. roast beef. And then they stuck those little sandwiches in the air fryer. And I was like, oh man, the air fryer extra on top was very exciting to me. So of course I bought all the ingredients that day (laughs) and we had friends over to watch some football at our house before we went to a football game on Saturday. And they were a huge hit. And that unexpected cheddar spread melts really nicely in a toaster oven or an air fryer, but air frying it is just a fun little extra. My tip for our listener is that you can really easily overdo in the air fryer. So like your beautiful sandwiches or your nuggets can go from perfect to black quickly if you're not careful. Yeah. I love our air fryer because you don't have to turn on the oven and wait for it to preheat, especially, you know, when my kid is like, where are my chicken nuggets? So. Which is like how children speak. I mean, it is. Yeah. I'm like, I, you get to live here for Where free, guys. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I also have been experimenting with mine. I love to make Brussels sprouts in them. Ooh. I mean, Brussels sprouts are one of those things where a lot of people don't like them. And sort of the key is to get them as crispy as possible. And that's the thing that the air fryer does. It gets that char, the little leaves on the outside get kind of charred. And those are like my favorite. So can Um, I ask you a couple questions? Yeah, sure. Do you cut your Brussels sprouts in half or quarters or none? In halves. Okay. And then do you spray or coat with some kind of fat? I do. I put oil on them. Yeah. Like olive oil or canola oil? Um, Olive oil. Whatever you got. I use olive oil. Sometimes we use avocado oil. Mm -hmm. I really like to do the Brussels sprouts with either a balsamic vinegar or some sort of sticky glaze. Yeah. Like a maple syrup or balsamic vinegar or gochujang, something that gives it like a little bit of sticky. Yeah. They just turn out so perfectly in the air fryer. And they're done like 20 minutes earlier. Exactly. I also tried a recent TikTok trending recipe in the air fryer. So it was the bagels with the cream cheese and a cinnamon sugar on top of it and then honey drizzled on top of that. I would say like it was good, but also I didn't understand why we were air frying it. Yeah. So the whole thing gets quite warm, right? Yeah. It's not just a toaster function because you're air frying it. So then what right. What does the consistency of the cream cheese turn into? It was just gummy? sort of there. It was a little gummy. And not a whole lot of flavor. So we're not air frying bagels? I don't think so. I think you can put bagels in there and toast them and then put your cream cheese and cinnamon sugar on. I liked the idea because after air frying these sandwiches, instead of just toasting or baking them, the ones that I made from the Trader Joe's recipe, that was inspired. So if any of you guys have air fryer recipes you want to share with us or have us try them out, just email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Speaking of other trending things, I know, Sarah, you um, have been listening to a couple of other podcasts. Why don't you tell us about those? Yeah, I mostly listen to stories about murder. (laughs) 
uh, that's that's my deal on podcasts. However, because of the job, um, I also love food podcasts. There's a brand new one I have to recommend called Longer Tables with Jose Andres. Yes. Um, we've called him the most lauded chef in the world. Mm-hmm. He is certainly one of the most famous chefs, but the thing to know about Jose Andres is that his humanitarian efforts across the world can be compared to no other chef's work right. across the world. He's really incredible. And I saw him um, on Jimmy Fallon the other night even, and he's also very funny and seems like great to get along with. I think that there are a lot of reasons why people like Jose Andres beyond the wonderful food that he makes and beyond the fancy restaurants he owns across the United States. His podcast is called Longer Tables. I have listened to two episodes so far. I just fell deep into them. One, I was vacuuming and uh, listening, and I just, uh, I, I like did an extra good job vacuuming my house because I listened to the entire podcast while I did it, I think. Uh, it made me smile. It made me laugh. And then he always teaches you how to cook something after he speaks to someone. Yeah. And that's cool, too, because he teaches you over a podcast. So it's always something simple enough that you can just listen right, yeah. and think, well, if this you know world-renowned chef makes it that way, I can probably make it that way, too. Yeah. So I really loved that. Um, and Jose Andres also, I, I listened to it earlier today. He's so inspiring. Like, he makes you want... <laughs> To change the, the world. The way he talks, he's like, hello, people of the world. <laughs> you know, like, that's how he starts his podcast. And I'm sorry I that I cannot be as inspiring as he is, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to go cook everything and talk to Jose Andres and just love the world. And I love his rapport with, I think he had Eric Repair on the first episode. And, and he, like, nailed cute. him for not being French. Yes. And I was like, he's he the Frenchest like, French person. Faking your Frenchness. So funny. I'm glad you loved it, too, Aaron, because yes. it, it was uh, just lovely. And so what else are you listening to? Occasionally dabble in a podcast called Call Me Curious, which is kind of like a Mythbusters where it gets into a single topic in each episode, but it's not super science-y like Mythbusters. It's a lot right. more fun and silly. Like one episode was Are We Alone in the Universe? And they had some <laughs> experts on to talk about whether we really think there are aliens out there. It's not a food podcast, but episode 29 was Is America's Love Affair with Pumpkin Spice Finally Over? <laughs> and no. uh, because the host doesn't like it and doesn't get it. One of the guests on it explained that she believes pumpkin spice lattes are one of the most enduring food crazes of all time. She puts it up there with $5 footlongs and the McRib. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. Yes. It's like love it or hate it. The pumpkin spice latte is very much a piece of food hype. It is a piece of food history. Another guest on the podcast explained like pumpkin and explained pumpkin spice. <laughs> I think we all know this, but maybe we don't. Pumpkin spice latte does not taste like pumpkin. It tastes like the spices you put in your pumpkin pie. Right. And they sort of parse apart, like, is pumpkin actually a cool thing to eat anyway? And, of course, these food (laughs) folks are like, yes, I love pumpkin. And we all need to understand that the pumpkin spice latte and pumpkin aren't the same. One little factoid, because I went and, like, researched it. Because I remember when they first launched it, there was no actual pumpkin in it. And a lot of people had an issue with that. Which seems like a problem. Yes. Yeah. So I think it was just the spice at that time. So I think 2015 was when Starbucks started adding actual pumpkin puree in addition to the spices. And so do you drink pumpkin spice lattes, Sarah? It is not a regular order of my no, but I get it. I love food hype. I do appreciate when we create fun around an ingredient or a brand or a topic. So like I'm here for the idea that you can sort of celebrate a seasonal drink and love it deeply. Thanks, guys. Stick around. Up next, we're going to try some real Belgian beer at Mayboom Brasserie. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. 
If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. It's beer time on Eat Drink DFW this week. The much-anticipated Mayboom Brasserie finally opened on Greenville Avenue, and food reporters Sarah Blaskovich and Kevin Gray stopped by to try some of the beers and chat with the owners. Here's more. So here we are at Mayboom Brasserie, a new Belgian bar on Lower Greenville in Dallas. And we don't have a Belgian bar in Dallas right now, although you can find some of these Belgian beers elsewhere. So Jeff, kind of explain to me your interest in Belgian beers and also um, your interest in educating people on uh, how to drink these. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Interest in Belgian beer came from just a trip over there one time and ended up on maybe the holiday, the right place at the right time. Fell in love with the country, brought April there a couple years later, and we came back with a business plan. The beers are all served in their own unique glassware. Each beer in Belgium has its own style. The beer fits the glass. There's triples, quadruples, saisons, pale ales, wit beers, a lot of different styles, and they're all so prideful. So we are bringing that over to Dallas to introduce these to the market the way that's properly done. Now, do you find that your customers know a lot about Belgian beer and do they do they understand why you're using these glasses or why you're serving it in certain ways? We've had a fair amount of Belgians actually come in. So for them, yes, absolutely. But for a lot of people, it's it's a new experience. A lot of beers are served in the standard American pint glass and that's fine. But the Belgian glass where the style does make a difference like we're going to try, let's say, Duchess de Bourguignon, which is a big circle, like a small wine glass. And it matters because every time you sip the beer, you get a fresh pour every single time in your mouth compared to a different glassware where the bottom of the beer is the backwash. It does filter it and actually improves the flavor of the beer. That's good. It sounds like we have some things to learn today, Jeff. Um, also here with me is Kevin Gray. He is a freelancer for the Dallas Morning News and a guy about town who happens to drink a fair amount of cocktails. Kevin, tell us what you like about Belgian beers. Thanks, Sarah. Hi, Jeff. Um, so what I find really interesting about Belgian beers is first, there's such a tradition in brewing in the country. So you can drink beers that are literally brewed at monasteries by monks. You can also drink beers that are across a range of styles from incredibly light and refreshing and zesty to really rich and deep and dark and alcoholic. So I do think that Belgian beer offers a lot for beer drinkers. Even though Dallas might not have uh, a Belgian beer bar yet until you guys came along, we do have a good culture of drinking beer, uh, which is great. So hopefully the education process won't be too difficult when you're uh, teaching people about Belgian beers. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to try a couple of these, and I'm going to ask Jeff to walk us through what what we're drinking, and then I'm going to ask Kevin to tell us some tips about it and give us some tasting notes. So, Jeff, what's our first beer? We're going to start off with Pavel Vak. It is a pale ale and probably our most unique glassware. It's actually it's so unique that there's no bottom, and it needs to be held on by a wood stand. That's because back in the 18th century, there's an innkeeper who hand blew this glassware for a stagecoach driver who wasn't allowed to leave the horses unattended, so this glass would be able to hang out on the side of the stagecoach so one hand on each of the two horses, and then this would hang out the window. So when you come for a break, you can have a nice glass of beer. Yeah, so it's like a two-story wooden platform connected with a cylindrical handle. So rather than even touching the glass or warming it up with your hand, you can just grab the, the wooden handle. 
which is a fun way to, to drink. And I would imagine that as soon as this hits the bar top or walks across the room, you must have people asking about the glass and, and ordering it for themselves. Yeah, the glassware will sell the beer itself, but the beer is absolutely delicious. And one thing that's that's interesting, this is a Belgian pale ale, but it differs significantly from an American-style pale ale. This is maltier. It doesn't have the hop bitterness that you might find in an American-style pale ale. So do you notice with customers that you have to kind of teach them that, oh, this isn't like a West Coast pale ale or, or even like a local pale ale they might have had? Yeah, you won't get the American hops, uh, the citrusy notes that we're used to at a pale ale or an IPA. It's absolutely delicious, but just be prepared for more malt and less hops. The quok that we're drinking, Jeff, costs $12. Some people might think that's a lot for a glass of beer. When you look at $12, yeah, it's for a beer, it is higher than most. But keep in mind, this is 8.4% alcohol. So double the alcohol of a Bud Light, which if you get for $6, it's kind of the same thing. And also, you're getting a unique glassware. You're getting an absolutely delicious beer. And as far as I'm aware, we are the only place that would serve this beer on tap in Dallas. So the price is high, but it's justifiable. Now we're going to try a Delirium beer. This is a brewery I am familiar with, Jeff, because of Delirium Tremens. But tell me, we're not trying Tremens. We're trying something else. No, we carry Tremens as well. But we are trying Nocturne today, a strong, dark ale. A lot of chocolate flavors, beautiful on the nose, served in its new, actually, Delirium glassware. Yeah, well, you know, before even tasting it, the first thing I noticed is that it's only poured about halfway up the glass, which I understand is how it's supposed to be poured, but could you tell some of our listeners why you're not pouring to the brim like you might a pint? If you pour it to the brim of the glass, you're going to have a lot of alcohol in that. Uh, you're getting a 33 centiliter pour out of that glass, and it's filled up with at least two fingers of head or foam. And the purpose of that is wouldn't fill a glass of red wine all the way to the brim because you need to allow the wine to breathe. Same concept here with the, the beer. The foam is important as well because it releases the carbon dioxide so you feel less bloated as you drink it. That's always a good thing. Thinking about drinking it too, this is a delicious beer, but it's not necessarily something you're going to drink six of, partly because it's 8.5% alcohol, but also it's a much stronger flavor. You know, there's a lot of these like deep kind of roasty, dark fruit, raisiny notes that while good might not be the thing that you're going to have a bunch of on the patio. So this really does feel like a beer you can sit with and sip and have one and then maybe try something else. Totally agree with you. This is a beer you can enjoy over 30 minutes, even an hour, and then go for something else. Let's go ahead and try our next beer, Duchess de Bourguignon, a Flemish red ale. This is a very interesting beer. Either you're going to love it or hate it. A lot of people say the first thing they smell is vinegar. That's definitely an interesting characteristic for a beer, and I can't disagree with that. Yeah, taking a sip, I could see why it's a little polarizing. It does have some of those vinegar notes on the front. Um, once you drink through it, though, it, it actually has like a thicker, creamier mouthfeel than you might expect from something that seems so tart on the nose, but it's definitely a polarizing flavor and it doesn't have the crisp refreshment that you might find in a lighter style of beer. Give it a shot. It's very delicious to me. Of the beers we've tried so far, this one is the most interesting for an adventurous drinker, I think, Jeff. This also strikes me as a beer that could be interesting to someone who likes cocktails or seltzers. Sure. For a Belgian beer, this is definitely lower on the alcohol percentage scale at 6%. And you can kind of feel like almost like a wine in a way too, like a light red wine. This does really seem like a great beer for wine drinkers. If you get someone who's less familiar with Belgian beers, but they tell you, oh, I like red wines, this, this would be an interesting thing to point them to because while it is more, more vinegary in a way, or certainly more sour, it does have those red fruit notes that you might get from a glass of wine. So it actually feels like a pretty natural progression. All right, so next up, I see we've got a bottle of Orval. Uh, This is one of the better-known Trappist ales to come out of Belgium. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us what's going on here? 
Orval has been going back to the 11th century. It has been doing exactly one thing, and it's been doing it well for a long time. It's been serving Trappist ale in the, the bottle. That's all it does. It is one of the monastery breweries. They brew in peace, non-for-profit. And you don't want to drink it in the bottle. You want to open it up into the Orval glass. Actually, all the bottles in Belgium, you want to open up into their glassware as well. And the reason for that is to release a lot of the aromas. I'm pouring it right now. We're pouring it 45 degrees on its side and getting to the brim here. But I'm actually not going to pour the entire bottle. I'm going to leave about half an ounce, maybe three-quarters of an ounce. And the reason for that is it's a bottle fermented ale. So it's actually fermented twice. Once normally in the brew tanks, and then right before it gets to bottling, it gets more yeast and sugar added into it. So as the yeast eats the sugar, they die, and they go to the bottom, gravity pulls them down, and it actually changes the flavor of the beer. So you leave some in there. Personally, I don't care for it, but a lot of people do. What I would recommend is try it out just as the way it's poured, and then as you go through the glass, add some more yeast, and it completely changes the flavor. Jeff, I see you've done this a few times because as you're pouring the beer, it's got about two inches of head going over the glass, almost like a Ramos gin fizz where it just goes so high above the glass you think it's going to spill. And next to all this audio equipment, that was a scary moment, but you're (laughs) such a pro. Get the hang of it. It, It's pouring it differently than a lot of times, but you wouldn't enjoy the same beer if you drunk it straight from the bottle. So open it up, a nice wide glass, almost like a Cabernet Sauvignon glass. It smells like walking into a brewery when you get that, like the yeasty, the the grainy smell. Yeah, it feels like kind of transports you into that Abbey Brewery. Yeah. I'm actually surprised. Um, I've had this beer before, but maybe not thought about it in a couple of years and with such a, a big thick head on top it actually drinks surprisingly light you actually you want a lot of head on the beer and the reason for that is to release the carbon dioxide inside the bottle so like let's say you want to order freights with your your beer here and you pour it in here you feel perfectly fine now if you were to drink it from the bottle or if i was to pour it without any head whatsoever you might not feel the grace in the morning that's good to know. A lot of these beers are, you know, this is this is 6.9% ABV, so anything we can do to avoid the hangover is helpful. I really like this beer. I've never had this Trappist Ale before. I totally agree with Kevin. It drinks so light, and the way it was poured was so serious. And so I thought, wow, I don't know what we're in for, but wow, what a drinkable beer. Like, I would love to drink this cold beer on a patio. It's delicious. It's also just so fun to think that monks made this beer. I think there's might be, what, six monasteries in Belgium that are currently brewing beer. And, and just, you know, the story about the, the not-for-profit, the, like literal monks making your beer is, is always fun and, and a lot different than your typical brewery. Yeah, there's, there's the monk breweries. I think six of the 11 are in Belgium. We're also going to carry Chimay and Rochefort and West Mala here. So we'll have a nice share of the Trappist monastery beers. Hey, Jeff, so I know when you poured this, you mentioned leaving a little bit of beer left in the glass and how there's a lot of yeast in in the last couple ounces of beer. So I I see that you've given me this with uh, the bottle of beer on the side. Now, um, should I pour the remainder in the glass or is that to be discarded? What do you think? Go ahead and do that, Kevin. You're going to see the colors get a little bit darker as you do that. And the yeast concentration, of course, is going to increase. Personally, I don't care for it, but most people do. Let me know what you think. Yeah, it certainly changed the color. It looks like it it went almost from uh, more of like a amber coppery hued beer with some tinges of red now it looks closer to a brown ale and it also there's less clarity so just right off the bat visually you can tell that something has changed 
Flavor-wise, I still think it's good. It does seem maybe a little bit, um, it muted some of the like crisper character of the beer, but then it added this like kind of funky earthiness too. So I, I could really see why people might be a little confused by this, but I, I actually think it tastes pretty good. Sarah, you seem to be enjoying it. What do you think? Yeah, I just like the idea that there's an option here that like adds a little layer of fun to me. And if I'm drinking beer, I want it to be fun. There is a fun choose your own adventure element to this one. Absolutely. A lot of our bottled beers are going to be, uh, especially the Trappist ones, are going to be bottle fermented as well. So same concept applies here. All right. So I know drinking a bunch of beers in the middle of the day is not a meal, or at least that's what my mom tells me. But it feels like we're headed toward dessert because we're going to try what I believe is a sweeter and lower alcohol by volume Belgian beer. I got a pesh here for Kevin and for you, Sarah, a creek from Lindemans. They're Lambic beers, so it's from a very small region, the Seine River near Brussels, where there's yeast that's naturally in the air. So there's no artificially added yeast. It all comes from the air. It's only two and a half, three percent alcohol, and they mix it with fruit. So if you like cherries, Creek's for you. Pêche is the French word for peach. You are going to taste a lot of fruit, and we also make cocktails out of it, like uh, peach schnapps. We don't carry that because we have pêche. Do some crazy cocktails with that. Yeah, this is so refreshing. It, it is sweet, but the fruit flavor is there. It doesn't feel cloying or artificial. Like, it really does taste like peach. Who do you think wants to drink this sweeter drink? If you want a low-alcohol beer, this is it. And it's not a low-alcohol light lager. You're getting a full mouth of fruit, whether it's your Creek here or my personal favorite, Frambois, which is the raspberry. Yeah, this is one's interesting because it feels like a beer you could drink for breakfast, but also something that you could pour over ice cream. So it seems pretty versatile. Ice cream is a great pairing with this. <laughs> so of the beers that we had today, which one is your favorite? I like the Orval Trappist Ale the best. I think it was fun, and I like the story of it being so old and made by monks, and the little Catholic girl in me likes that. I was Catholic for about seven years, and then my family stopped going to church. But I liked all of these. The quok, I thought, was especially interesting. Probably leaned into more like my style of beer, which would be like a little bit more refreshing, the maltiness, but it still had a little bit of um, bitterness to it, which I enjoyed. And I just cannot get over that glassware. Or the woodenware, I guess we might call it. But that wooden serving vessel was definitely one of the cooler things I've drank out of in a while. So I've been asking you questions about Mayboom for months if not years i'm very interested in this place and we've watched its evolution so people can drink drinks on your patio right now but i know you've got some plans in the next couple of months what is coming up for mayboom we should be having our grand opening in september and we'll have be full on the patio as well as indoors we're going to have a small bites menu at first frites and waffles and we'll evolve into a full menu including brunch on the weekends Wassels are the national dish of Belgium. We'll have a few different styles of that. My personal favorite is called Bitterballen. It is a deep-fried meatball. Absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. Check out on our social media for all the updates on everything that's coming out. You can also find all the information at mayboombar.com. It was fun drinking beer with you today, Jeff and Kevin. Thank you so much. Cheers. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we talk to longtime State Fair of Texas concessionaire Cassie Jones. That's right after this. Hey, listeners. This is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com listen. 
The State Fair of Texas starts tomorrow, September 30th, and your Dallas Morning News food team will be there on site trying all the Big Tex Choice Awards food finalists. But there are lots of other longtime concessionaires with fair food dishes that attract lines every year. One of them is Cassie Jones, who has been cooking at the fair for 10 years now, delighting fairgoers with her fried collard greens and peanut butter and jelly fried chicken wings. She's also appeared on Guy's Grocery Games on the Food Network and Deep Fried Dynasty on A&E. Here's more from Cassie. So I went to culinary school at the age of 40 and I started to work as a personal chef and once I catered a party and the lady said my fried collard greens were the best fried food that she ever tasted in her life and she asked me had I ever thought about being a vendor at the state fair and I was like no and she said you should I did not know at that time but the lady was state fair royalty Caroline Newport of Newport Concessions She had been at the fair for many, many, many years. She retired um, last year. So um, I submitted my application to the fair. They called me in for a tasting and I got in on my very first application. Like within the next like three months, they called and they were like, you want the booth? Yeah, I want the booth. (laughs) So... I started out my signature dish are the deep fried collard greens. In the beginning, it was extremely slow. No one would even try them. People would not taste them. They'd walk by and say, fried collard greens, ew, gross. And one day a guy came by, tried my product, loved it. And he invited me to the radio station, which was K104, Gary Saunders. And Gary put me on K104 The DJs, they had them, they loved them. And the very next day, there were so many people outside the booth, we couldn't even see the concrete. So I've always said, Gary put me on the map. And it's been crazy ever since then. That was in 2013. So this year is actually my 10th year and it's super duper important for us. We love the fair. My whole family loves the fair. I love my guests. A lot of people tell me it's the best food at the fair and that's the reason they come to the fair. In my family, the fair has always been um, super important. I would take my children every year. When I was a child, we would go out every year. So for me to be a part of that now, I absolutely love it. Can you describe the fried collard greens and how you came up with that dish and why people love it so much? (laughs) Sure. Some people say they look like empanadas or a little fried pie. It does have a crispy outside, like a wonton wrapper. Um, We use a yoza wrapper, actually. But it's a crispy shell on the outside. The greens are pre-cooked on top of the stove and seasoned very, very well. Once they're done, I drain off the juice, mix in cream cheese, and put them in the wrapper. We serve them with hot sauce, and you can get them with and without ham, And it is my signature dish. It is the star. It's the baby. It's why people wait in the line. And they are so, so good. I like to say a little bit of perfection. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And so do you have anything new um, at the fair this year? I do not have any new foods this year. I'm bringing back the favorites. I think that we're going to have a lot of traffic because of the television show. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people have messaged me and said they're coming to the fair to get this food. And so I didn't add anything new this year. The Deep Fried Dynasty. You want to tell me a little bit about your experience on that show? It was interesting. It was a lot of fun. It was kind of hard with them being in the booth every single day. You know, the cameras are there and we're moving all around and we haven't, you know, to kind of maneuver around them. But um, I'm not quite sure how I feel about how they portrayed me. 
Some of it was great. I just don't like that they showed the part where I fired people. I only wanted nice stuff to be shown, not Mm. all the real stuff, even though it was a reality show, a reality show. So my thing was they only showed what I said to them. They did not show what they said to me. So it made me look bad. I was just kind of surprised that they filmed every day for 24 days from sunup to sundown. And they added that part. Really? You couldn't cut that part out? Yeah. But um, I guess it makes, you know, good TV. Yeah. They look for the drama, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look for the drama. But I'm really happy to be a part of the show because, you know, there's a ton of vendors out there and they had narrowed it down to like 30 of us. And then they narrowed it down to eight. Oh, wow. So I think that's pretty awesome to be one of the eight on the show. And there were 13 episodes and I was on like eight of them a lot. Thanks so much, Cassie. You can find her booth outside of the Midway near the base of the Top of Texas Tower Ride. And that's all the time we have for Eat, Drink, DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts with us by emailing eatdrink at dallasnews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.